Healthy Hacker, Episode 8. Welcome to The Healthy Hacker, where we talk about programming, puzzles, memory fitness, diet, and everything else that you, a healthy hacker, find interesting. This week, we have a very special guest coming on the show all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Hi, my name is Felix Zemdex. I'm the World Rubik's Cube champion. We have Felix Zemdex, and not only is he the World Rubik's Cube champion, but he also holds several world records, including the 3x3 average solve time record, the 3x3 one-handed single solve record, and he holds records in the 5x5 and 7x7 puzzles. So he's going to come on the show and talk about the methods he uses to solve those cubes, how he trains for a competition, and what we can do to get started solving the cube today. Before we get to that, though, let's do the workout of the week. The workout of the week is a section where I take a workout that I've seen recently or I've done recently or just a workout that looks fun and I share it with you and hopefully sometime this week you'll get a chance to try it yourselves and I'll have to try it myself too if I haven't done it already. So this week's workout comes directly from CrossFit Pearl District and CrossFit Pearl District is the gym that I go to in Portland, Oregon and the reason I wanted to choose a workout from this gym is because in the future, it may be next week, it may be a couple weeks after that, Jeff Duncan, the gym owner and instructor at CrossFit Pearl District, is going to come on and teach us all about CrossFit. Tell us what it's all about, how we can get started, why we might want to be doing CrossFit, that kind of stuff. So this week is an example of maybe a workout you might do at that gym. So here it is. This workout is going to take exactly 20 minutes, okay? So set a timer for 20 minutes and do as many rounds as possible of 20 double unders on a jump rope, a 200-meter run, and then 20 deck squats and then another 200-meter run. That's one round, and in 20 minutes, you want to do as many rounds of those things as you can. So let's break down these exercises really quickly. As usual, I have a link in the show notes to some video demonstrations of these if you're unfamiliar, and you can find the show notes at healthyhacker.com slash eight. So the first exercise is 20 jump rope double unders. All that means is you want to grab a jump rope, and you want to jump over it 20 times. And the key here is you want to do double under. So every time you jump up in the air, the rope has to go under your feet two times. If that seems way too difficult for you, you've never done double unders or you've never really jump rope before, then what you want to do instead is do 40 single unders. So just do 40 normal jump rope. So the goal here is to do 20 double unders, but if you can't do double unders, then do 40 single unders, okay? The next exercise is a 200-meter run. That's easy. Just run for 200 meters. And then we're going to move on to 20 deck squats. Now, these are a lot of fun. You may want to see the video to fully experience the amazingness of a deck squat, but the goal here is to get all the way down in the bottom of a squat and then roll onto your back. So now your feet are up in the air and then roll back forward again till your feet are on the ground and then come up out of the squat. So that would be one deck squat. You go down, roll on your back, roll back onto your feet and then stand up. You don't want to touch the ground at all with your hands. You don't want to use any kind of weight assistance. You don't want any of that stuff. The goal is to just use your body weight, go down to your feet, roll back on your back, then roll forward again and stand up. If that's too hard for you, if you don't have the flexibility to do that, then one way to make that easier would be to use your hands to help you get up, or you can hold on to like a light dumbbell or a book or something and swing that forward in front of you to help you get back on your feet again. And then the last bit in these rounds is another 200 meter run. So that's it. Do as many rounds of those things as you can and check out the show notes if any of them sound confusing. 
And now it's time for Felix Zemdegs, the world Rubik's Cube champion, to come on the show and teach us how he solves the Rubik's Cube in less than six seconds. Well, thanks for coming on in literally the middle of the night for you. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's no worries. <laughs> cool. So uh, I guess my first question would be uh, Vim or Emacs? Uh, is it bad that I don't even know what either of those things are? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a joke. Right. A lot of the uh, people a lot of the people on this podcast are going to be programmers. So uh, Vim, Vim and Emacs are actually text editors. And it's kind of a, almost a religious war, which one is the better. So All right. Uh, no, actually... I, I think I have seen Vim in like some sort of programming class or something. I've seen Vim, so I'll go with that. Okay, you've taken that's my favorite too. You've taken programming classes? Uh, not really. Like, uh, so at university, I'm doing like an engineering. It's like an engineering uh, subject, uh -huh. and like a third of it, a third of it is learning uh, MATLAB. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're learning like very basic stuff. Okay, so uh, your title is. Rubik's Cube World Champion. What does that even mean? What, is, what do you have to do to get that title? Yeah, so there's a few different sort of titles in the world of uh, Rubik's Cube. So you've got like the, the world record holder mm -hmm. uh, for a single solve, then you've got the world record for an average solve, then you've got the world champion. So the world champion means that you've won the most recent world championship. So you, you hold that title. Mm -hmm. So I won the, the 2013 world championship in Las Vegas. Cool. And do you have any? You mentioned the two other records, the like uh, speed, the single solve record, which is solving it at the fastest a single time in a competition. But then there's also the average record. Have you held either of those records? Uh, yes. So I currently hold the average world record as well. So it's an average of five solves, uh, removing the best and worst. And so that uh, is 6.54 seconds. And I do not have the single solve record. Uh, <laughs> A guy from the Netherlands, Mats Volk, he's got that record. It's 5.55. You had it before, though, didn't you? Uh, yes, I, I held it. It used to be 7.08, and then I broke it a few times, like 6, 6, and then a 5. Then he broke it uh, last year. Yeah. What, do you remember the time difference on that? I think, it was, I think it was just maybe a little over a tenth of a second or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So my best in competition is 5.66. So, yeah. Wow. Pretty close. Do you think that's going to stand for a while? Uh, his 5.55. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it stood for a decent amount of time at the moment. Um, I think it'll it'll probably last till the end of the year, and then some people will sort of there'll be more and more people who have the opportunity to actually break it, who you know, getting faster and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than the the three by three, uh, which you have the average world record for, do you have any other records for any of the other puzzles, any of the other size cubes? Uh, yeah, so I've got the uh, the five by five single and average mm. solve time. Um, the seven by seven average solve time and the, the one handed single solve time. So the three by three with one hand. <laughs> yeah. Like I mentioned, uh, when we talked a little earlier, I'm, I'm also into the Rubik's cube. Um, obviously I'm not nearly as competitive as you. I'm in the sub 20 camp right now, but, uh, the larger cubes for me were always way more difficult than the smaller cubes just because I didn't practice them as much. Do you put a lot of time in with the larger cubes as well? Or does that just happen automatically because of your three by three practice? I would, wouldn't say it happens automatically, but there is a certain like level of, of that where like if you practice a lot of just like Rubik's cubes in general, mm -hmm. like if you do lots of three by three or a four by four, then sort of naturally you'll get better at solving them in general. So it might uh, transfer to the seven by seven, but yeah, to get faster at each sort of different puzzle, you need to put a 
time into it. Yeah. When I solve the larger cubes, I, I'm basically turning them into a three by three and then solving them as a three by three. Is that the same kind of technique that you use or do you yeah. use a totally different solving method? Yeah, exactly. So that's the essential method for solving the bigger cubes is reduce them to a three by three. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything you don't like about being the world, uh, the Rubik's Cube world champion? Uh, have you had to do a ton of interviews or, or, or is this kind of a special snowflake kind of deal here? Uh, oh, I've done like a, a decent amount of media and interviews and stuff mm-hmm. here in Australia. I'm trying to think anything I don't like. Do you like the Cuban public? Is it something you enjoy doing or is it just kind of something that goes along with, with uh, winning the competition? No, I generally wouldn't bring a cube with me like around the place, around like university or in public or anything. I generally prefer... I don't know, like I wouldn't go around and show it off or anything like that. Yeah. Maybe the one thing that is a tad annoying is, you know, if I meet someone new and my friend like automatically introduces me as like the Rubik's Cube guy, so I might get like sort of labeled. Uh, but it's it's really good if like you meet new people and everything and then they sort of discover it uh, later on that I, you know, I've got this weird uh, hobby or obsession that I can do, which is, which is pretty neat. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't I don't enjoy cubing. Like when I travel, for example, I've been traveling a lot recently and I go on an airplane or a bus. I really want to take out the Cuban and start solving it, but I don't actually like doing it because I'm concerned that people are just going to start staring at me and asking me questions and, and things like that. Have you ever been cubing in public and had some kind of, you know, embarrassing moment or something, your cube blowing up or, <laughs> or, or being just bombarded with people or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean about um, you know, it generally like attracts a decent level of attention. So that's why I kind of avoid it. But we've had, we've had, uh, stuff in Melbourne, like we just meet up a bunch of us and just cube in like a, a shopping center or a food court or something. And yeah, you do get, you know, just members of public just coming up and asking sometimes like really silly questions. Yeah. <laughs> and telling you that they take the stickers off, of course. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. How long have you been cubing? Like when did you start and um, when would you consider yourself a speed solver or like under 20 seconds, I guess, would be the definition I would use for that? All uh, right. So I first started in uh, April 2008. So it was over six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took me, I would say, about four months or so to get down to about under 20 seconds. Okay. It took me a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, back, back then I had you know all the time in the world. I just was obsessed. <laughs> do you have do you still have as much time to practice now that you're at university? Compared to actually my final my final year of high school, I've got a lot more time uh now. I've only got like 15 hours a week at university, so I've got a decent amount of time to practice, but yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. I found a uh a, a video on YouTube and it's by David Zemdegs. Is that your brother or or something? Uh David Zemdegs, that's my dad actually. Yeah. That's your dad. Okay. I just assumed your yeah. brother for some reason. Yeah, it's cool. I'm going to I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes cuz it's like a little uh 8-minute documentary kind of of I guess of your history with the cube and I uh, I, yeah, I learned right. a lot from that. So yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. <laughs> when 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 was that one when was that one uploaded? Oh, uh let I'll me get outdated by now. Yeah, it's it's well, you know, the history doesn't change, <laughs> yeah. but um it it does it does post a video of your first solve um, on video, which I think was like 2278 or something. (laughs) And what I noticed at the end, which totally made me smile was you showed the timer and it was J net cube. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. I mean, everyone, everyone used, I I was just gonna say everyone used that back in the day. Yeah. 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 Back in, man. Um, I just want to mention the, uh, back when I started cubing, it seemed like a totally different landscape than it is now. I know that, um, 
it's you got some of your first inspiration from YouTube and YouTube didn't even exist when I started. And what we used to do uh, is talk over email about the, the methods that we're using. And we also uh, were so spread out and we didn't really have a lot of people in the same location that we wanted to have a way to race each other online. So me and with the help of somebody else, we made a little timer called JNetCube that just spits out scrambles and times you and then also allows you to remotely connect to other people and race them. And I haven't touched that thing in like seven years and it's on SourceForge somewhere if, if people want to look, but that, that made me really excited. So uh, I guess that's a good kind of segue into just figuring out how you solve the cube today. See if it's, see if it's changed at all. Would you mind describing the way that like your solving method and how you take the cube from yeah. scrambled to solved? Okay. So I don't know it might be a tad sort of complicated to explain, especially without uh, a visual, mm-hmm. but so but the, the method I use is like, it's called the Friedrich method or CFOP. So uh, essentially the CFOP stands for cross F2L, OLL, PLL, which probably doesn't mean anything to people who don't know how to solve it. <laughs> so basically you take a scrambled cube and you work in, in layers. So you build the cross on like on the bottom side and, uh, and then from there you sort of build up. So there's three layers on a cube and you, you build like the first layer, second layer, and then the final layer. And you do, well, how I do it is the first two layers I would do intuitively. I would build blocks and, you know, sort of arrange uh, com- like the colors uh, and match them up mm-hmm. just sort of intuitively. And then for the last layer, I use two of a range of algorithms uh, generally. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me let me back up a little bit. Where where did the term yeah. CFOP come from? Because I remember when I was cubing, I used Friedrich as well, and nobody called it CFOP. Yeah. Is that a relatively new term? Uh, I think so. Uh, there's there's some sort of I don't know if it's debate. I'm not I'm not sort of caught up with all this, but there's sort of a level of people aren't sure you know who exactly invented like doing F2L. Mm. And so people, some people just refer to it as CFOP. Others still call it the Friedrich method. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. The uh, cross, the way that I've tried to explain it to people, the first thing you need to know is the centers of the cube don't move. You know, if you look at the center and it's blue, then that side's going to be blue. If you look at the center and it's green, then that side's going to be green, etc. Yeah. You can move the sides all you want and the centers aren't going to be moved. So kind of building that cross is just looking at a centerpiece and then putting four edge pieces around that center so you have something that literally looks like a cross or looks like a plus. Yeah, that often can be like the hardest part for someone beginning to learn the cube because you can't really like teach it methodically. It's sort of like just an, an intuitive thing, yeah. I've, yeah, I've noticed that too. It's I have a really difficult time explaining it to people when I'm trying to show them. I, I literally have to hold the cube and do the turn slowly and it, I can't even say in words what's happening. Have you ever tried to teach somebody? How to solve the cube before? Uh, yeah, so I've taught, I don't know, maybe five or ten people mm-hmm. um, how to solve it. But, yeah, the cross is always, like, try to tell them, like, just move, like, this piece uh, to this location. And, you know, they, they struggle with it because they haven't really, they don't really know, like, how it all, they, the pieces, like, sort of move around, I guess. And then if I showed them, like, how to do uh, what I'm asking, they're like, oh, it's really easy. Like, why didn't I think of that before? Like, <laughs> It's easy to see, right? Once someone's pointed it out, but yeah, the, yeah, the figuring exactly. out, it, it's like, it's like the hardest step and you got to do it very first thing. So it's yeah. really discouraging, but at the same time, once you get it, it the whole, it's kind of downhill from there, to be honest. So 
Yeah, well, for if for, if you're learning like a beginner's method, it's all very methodical and step by step. After that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have a beginner's method that you usually redirect people to when they ask for help? Uh, yeah, I would direct them to uh, Bad Mephisto's uh, beginner's tutorial. Uh, Bad Mephisto. I'm not sure if you've seen that one. I'm gonna stick that yeah. in the show notes. It's like a 25 minute tutorial, but it's really sort of well done, and it it gives like good progression if you want to. If you want to get faster or learn new methods, as opposed to some beginner methods where, you know, transferring from your knowledge from that onto like a more advanced method, uh, like the, the transition is really difficult, but it makes it easy if you want to get faster. Oh, that's good. So it's it's not teaching you some weird two-cycle boring, like like some solution that you're never going to be able to expand. It's actually giving you like a foundation that you can build off of if you want to. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, basic layer by layer. Yeah. That's that's great. So when you first started using um, CFOP and learning it, what did you do to help you memorize the algorithms? Because like you said, the first two-thirds of the puzzle you do intuitively, but then that last bit, that last layer, you're using a whole ton of algorithms. And like classical Friedrich uses two sets, one for orientation and permutation. And I'm just curious what you did to learn all those algorithms you need to do to solve that last layer. Yeah, so those, those can be tricky to... Uh to first learn, I think I just, I just sort of sat down and just, just drilled the algorithm, just like, just repeated the moves over and over again until I, you know, I had it in my head and I could execute it pretty quickly. And then uh, maybe like an hour or two later, I would come back and just refresh it and see if it's still there. And then uh, gradually I would, you know, uh, implement it in my solves. So if I got uh, a specific case and the specific algorithm, then I would, you know, I would execute it in the solve, in the solve, and then gradually it just uh, becomes muscle memory. Yeah, but it's it's tough to it's very tough to first learn, especially algorithms that are like say fifteen moves long or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and are you able to easily recall the moves now? If if somebody were to ask you to to like explain your T perm, which is like just a popular, it's a popular permutation algorithm that everybody loves because it's really fast. Yeah. If someone were to have you a- ask you to explain the moves that you do, can you do that? Or is it all muscle memory by now? Um, I, I would be able to, you know, write down the moves I use. Yeah. Okay. I can't. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to explain how that algorithm specifically like moves this, those specific pieces around. Okay. But you can't explain the moves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I could write down the moves and all that. Yeah. And so then beyond this um, basic CFOP or Friedrich method of building up the two layers intuitively and then using two sets of algorithms at the end, one to orient all the pieces and then the second to permute the pieces, do you have any other techniques that you use to make it even faster? I've, I've noticed in some videos you seem to just skip some steps sometimes or do different algs that I've never seen. So do you have any other advanced techniques that you mix in there? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, back, you know, five or six years ago, you could, uh, you could, compete with the best in the world with just basic CFOP. Mm-hmm. You could, yeah, do all that. But these days, anyone who wants to become, like, really, really good, you've got to sort of just know a whole bunch of random different tricks. Um, so the things you can do are stuff like uh, at, at the end of the F2L stage, you can, like, insert, a, uh, like, a pair differently uh, to, you know, skip the OLL or something. Or you can do algorithms. Uh, have you heard of ZBLL? Yes, I have. Yeah. Would you, Would you mind describing Would you mind describing ZBLL for folks who don't know what that is? Yeah. So for the people at home, um, <laughs> so ZBLL is 
Uh, if you have a cross on the top of your Rubik's Cube, so after you've done the first few layers, if you have a cross on the top, ZBLL is uh, the case where you just do one algorithm and it solves the entire uh, last layer just from the cross on top. But you don't, I mean, for solving really, really fast, you don't really need to know too many of those. I, but just people know like random cases, like I would know maybe you know, 50 to 70 of those cases. And when they come up, you know, it's really fast. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. Great. So that doing a, just learning that little bit of ZBL lets you skip a, skip a step basically when those cases do appear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which doesn't seem like a big deal, I guess. But uh, when you're trying to shave off literally tenth, a 10th of a second for a world record, that makes a pretty big difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you can get into sort of stuff where you're trying to manipulate uh, during the F2L, you try to manipulate uh, your last layer edges so that they give you a cross on the top or something like that just to make your life easier yeah that's that's pretty amazing yeah. so i noticed you have a youtube channel as well oh uh, yes yeah do you post videos on there regularly i noticed there was some tips on there and you mentioned a little bit of zbll on there as well what do you use your youtube channel for uh yeah my youtube channel is an interesting one so i mean sometimes i you know sort of get these ideas and I'm you know, reasonably active on it. I think a few months ago, you know, I'd uploaded, I think you saw the, like I made just 10 random videos, 10 random tricks mm -hmm. or something. So, but uh, for the majority of the time, uh, mostly on YouTube, I post like my competition videos. So they might be, you know, a record or just like a PB or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then other times I would post, you know, at home solves, you know, just solves at home, like a really fast one or a fast average. And yeah, uh, sometimes tutorials or just random uh, like walk walkthrough solves, like example solves. So I would get a cube and solve it slowly and explain like my thought process. Um, yeah, and just other random tutorials, stuff like that. But I'm not, partic I'm not particularly active on it, but I, I do post like somewhat, yeah. Okay, nice. You, uh, you mentioned... Um kind of walking through example solves. I noticed with your your current average speed record that, you, that you've set is on YouTube right now. And I noticed that people have taken the time to reconstruct your solves, to describe the scramble and then like describe every move that you did to solve the cube. Have you ever tried reconstructing a solve that way? I mean, is that easy to do? That sounds really crazy. Um, I haven't. Uh, I don't think I've reconstructed a solve from like a video. Yeah. Uh, just, just like seeing the a cube in a video and reconstructed that but I have done it where like you know I get a fast solve I would go back to the scramble and then work out exactly what I did mm -hmm. and then write that down yeah and have you have you found that to be helpful to you when you're trying to get faster do you ever look at reconstructions of other fast solves I mean looking at reconstructions of myself like I obviously I'm not learning anything new because you know that's just that's what I've done like I would I would normally do. Yeah, but if I look at uh, reconstructions of other fast solvers, you know, I might be able to pick up a thing or two mm -hmm. in, you know, just, just a random sort of case or algorithm or something that they would use in their solves that I maybe hadn't thought of, which which could help, yeah. Okay, great. Let's, uh, I got I got a, I got another uh, question here that'd be awesome to talk about, and that is, um, how do you practice? Like, if you're getting ready for a competition, does your practice schedule change at all? You know, how does that work? Uh, yes. So I think, yeah, generally before a competition, I would, uh, do a lot more practice, but it, yeah, it really depends, you know, how often the competitions are for something like a world championships or like, 
like a really big competition, I would I would do a fair bit of practice. And what that entails is just pretty much just sitting down at the computer. You know, I would you know play like music or a TV show or something in the background and just sit there and just take averages of lots of solves of different events and stuff like that. Yeah. And what nowadays, what timer are you using to keep track of your times and take averages and generate scrambles and stuff like that? Yeah, so nowadays I use a QQ timer. I'm not sure if you heard of that one. No, I got to write this down. I got to find this thing. QQ timer. Is that what all the cool kids are using? Uh, it's a bunch of different ones. I don't know. It's just what I've been using for like like five years now. So it's really, I, like I couldn't, can't really be bothered changing from it. It's really nice. It suits my purposes. <laughs> cool. And in competitions, you don't use a QQ timer. You use a stack mat timer, right? Does that affect your solves at all? Do you ever practice with that? Uh, yeah, sometimes I would practice with uh, like a stack mat timer. Uh, especially, yeah, before like the world championships or something like that, um, what I would do is pretend like it's, uh, like it's the final round or something. So I would do, you know, I would do an average of five solves with a stack mat with like a gap in between my solves Mm. and just sort of try and try and pretend like it's the world championships or something like that, like in the final and sort of, you know, see how I go. But I think... The stack mat makes me like 0.1 or 0.2 slower than with a keyboard, so it's it's not uh, insignificant the uh, difference. Yeah, it has. I think it has the same effect on on me. Um, that's kind of cool that you practice a competition at home. Do you have any other um, kind of habits or things that you do between solves at a competition? I I think I saw in a video that you seem to have a second cube on you the whole time and. You know, when you're solving in the competition, you're do, you're solving, and then you stop the timer, and then you give the cube back, and then while you're waiting for the cube to come back, scrambled again, you have a second cube that you're just like fiddling with. Are you doing that because you're nervous, or what? What's the point there? I don't know. I haven't really thought about what the actual point is, but <laughs> yeah, nervousness, I guess. Yeah, and also, I don't know. It it feels sometimes a bit strange, like to you know have like five minutes break, and then you know or just a minute break and pick up a new cube and solve it. Whereas if I'm like constantly solving, it's, I think, I think that helps constantly solving and then doing your actual solve. Yeah. Cause you like, uh, before, before, uh, an official solve, like maybe in the videos you, you might've seen, I would probably just, I don't know. I, I might do like a solve on, on my practice cube. And then, so I would try and like sort of imitate that solve in the real thing. But yeah, probably just nervous. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, it's like, you know, it's staying warm and kind of staying in the zone and yeah, yeah, exactly. chilling out a little bit. Let's say now that I want to, you know, start taking cubing a little bit more seriously and also uh, other people may want to just totally start cubing. Where would you recommend people go to start buying a, a cube, for example? Because there's lots of different Rubik's cubes out there. When I first started a while ago, 10 years ago, really the only cube you can buy was you know, Rubik's branded cubes from rubiks.com. But now there are just like an infinite number of Rubik's cubes out there. Where do you go to buy your cubes? And do you have any recommendations for which kind of cube people should pick up? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a ridiculous amount of uh, like different manufacturers and different models and stuff like that. Um, well, I guess I should say the guy I'm sort of sponsored by who flew me to uh, America this year is uh, uh, speedcubeshop.com. Mm. It's an American American puzzle shop. Uh, they sell, you know, standard uh, speed cubes and all that. For uh, other Americans, you've got places like uh, thecubicle.us, 
So speedcubeshop.com, thecubicle.us. Oh, there's there's heaps of heaps of heaps of online stores. Yeah, you can go like a- Amazon, anything you want. Yeah, you have. Uh, I've seen orange cubes, black cubes, white cubes. I've seen you use all of these things. Do you do you have a preference for the color of the cube or the specific type of cube? Um, I would say black cube now, black plastic, but specific type. Yeah. So the 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 specific brand that I use is called a Moyu Aolong. So M O Y U A O L O N G. So yeah, I mean yeah, it's it's probably the most widely used cube I would say. What are the benefits of using that cube versus something like a Rubik's a Rubik's.com cube? Ah uh, right, so versus just standard Rubik's cube, uh, the speed cubes are just sort of they're essentially designed for speed, like they're designed for people who want to solve them really quickly. Whereas uh, the Rubik's cube is designed for the general public, and I have heard that um, like the reason that Rubik's can't make their cubes you know, turn really smoothly or, you know, be really fast is because it's something to do with like the safety and the actual like pieces involved. Um, it's something to do with like, they can't sell them in stores if, if they're, you know, really, really fast or something like that. Yeah. Almost like a children's safety thing. Yeah. Something like that. So the, the Chinese, uh, well, the majority of the Chinese, uh, so the majority of the cubes, the speed cubes manufactured are from China. So uh, I don't think they sort of had less concern for that because they're not marketing them to, you know, like a retail store. That makes sense. They have really teeny tiny uh, pieces on the inside sometimes. Like, ironically, when I used a Rubik's branded cube, that thing exploded uh-huh. uh, way more often than <laughs> any of the <laughs> newer cubes. So I would think that, and by exploded, I mean, you know, for people who don't solve the cube, a lot of times when you're, when you're solving the Rubik's cube, especially if it's too loose your pieces just pop out if you don't turn the sides completely before turning the next adjacent side because you start pushing a piece out and then because of the way the Rubik's Cube is built, all the pieces hold each other together. So the tension's lost and pieces go out all over the place. But (laughs) these cubes that have been designed for speed cubing, don't. I've never had one explode on me. I've had pieces do weird things like rotate in place, but I've never actually had them completely explode. So it is a little bit funny that 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 would be an issue, but it does make sense. There's reg- probably more regulations that they have to go through when manufacturing cubes in the USA. So yeah, cool. So I want to finish up and see if um, there's just kind of learn if it, about about you a little bit more outside of cubing. Is there anything else that you like to do? Any other hobbies or like what kind of stuff are you studying in university right now? Uh, I'm studying um, commerce at uh, Melbourne University with the intention of doing uh, uh, engineering after after that as well. In terms of hobbies, I don't know. I don't really have too many others aside from the Rubik's Cube. So, I mean, that's that's sort of just my main thing. That's perhaps why why I'm like, you know, pretty good at it is it, it's my sole sort of hobby. <laughs> but um, uh, I like uh, watching uh, Australian rules football. It's like it's a completely different uh, like sort of football code. It's not rugby or anything. So I enjoy like following that. I'm a big sort of fan of that. Australian football, that's... yeah. By football, do you mean what Americans would call soccer, or do you mean football like rugby football type thing? I know you said it's not either, but yeah, it's it's not either. <laughs> are you carrying the ball with your hands, or are you kicking it with your feet? I guess it's the core question I'm getting. Uh, out of here. You're doing both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. It's a completely different game, but I, you know, I really enjoy following all that. I'm sort of obsessed with that. Um, uh, besides from that, I don't know. No, not not a whole lot else. I. You used to, I played the played the saxophone in high school, but I sort of haven't played that for a while. 
yeah. Are are you into any kind of uh, exercises? Do you run or do anything like that? I since high school, I haven't I haven't actually played uh, sport. Like me and some friends were going to join like a soccer club and you know play games, but that didn't uh, end up panning out. So, but I you know I go for jogs occasionally and all that, but. I need. I do need to get onto the exercise a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just curious. <laughs> a lot of the people that I've met that are like amazing at doing a thing are are also just you know they're, they're amazing at a lot of things. So it's kind of it, it's it's just interesting to to hear about the other things you're interested in and, and what you like to do. So because <laughs> usually someone's not going 100 percent in only one department. You know, they're really thinking about a lot of other things. Yeah, I mean, is there is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or promote or mention? If people wanted to learn more about you or watch what you're doing, uh, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, okay. So I've got um, I've got the, the Facebook page that I've set up uh, like six months ago or something. Uh, it's just Felix Zemdex, so mm-hmm. it's just just search that on Facebook. And th- I don't know. There's a few. There's like like three or four pages. I don't know. I, I tried to get the other ones deleted, but they couldn't. I don't know, Facebook just never did it. But the one that's actually me is probably really easy to figure out. And I've got a YouTube account as well. So it's pretty, it's really easy to find. Just just search my name. Yeah. So that's where I mostly do my stuff, yeah. And are there any other competitions you have planned next? Actually, not. I am not sure when my next one is going to be. Um, I've got some uh, sort of offer in the works to potentially go uh, overseas in November, but I'm not sure, uh, how much I can say as of yet about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Okay. Exciting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Felix. Uh, it was really great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time too. Cool. No worries. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. And that's all we have for this week. You can find the show notes at healthyhacker.com slash eight. And if you have a question you want to share on the show, send me a voicemail at healthyhacker.com slash voicemail. Mm-hmm.